everyone and welcome to Energy Explored. This podcast covers the challenges of achieving a carbon neutral global economy, cutting emissions of gases and pollutants and setting up new energy systems. Join Reed Smith lawyers and guest speakers as they shed light on the most important trends in emissions control and new fuels. Tune in as we follow the ever-evolving journey through the transition of energy. So welcome everyone to our next Energy Explored uh, podcast, in which we're going to be uh, talking about some developments in the voluntary carbon markets. I'm here with my partner in the US, Jen Smoklin, and our podcast today really follows on from a webinar which we did in November 2022 on identifying and mitigating risks in the voluntary carbon markets. So today we're going to explore a couple of developments that have taken place since we gave the webinar. And first off, we're going to uh, talk about some of the key Article 6 decisions uh, that were made in COP27. And so for that, you know, I'm going to sort of ask some questions of Jennifer. So hi, Jennifer, welcome. Hi, Brett. Nice to be here. Good to talk, Jen. Now, first off... Can you address really simple question? What is Article 6? Simple question, but complex answer. Without going into too much detail, this topic in and of itself could be worthy of an entire set of podcasts. Article 6 consists of nine paragraphs in the Paris Agreement from 2016, which provides principles for how countries can pursue voluntary cooperation to reach their climate targets. The high-level principles in Article 6 were intended as a basis for countries to develop detailed rules on how to implement Article 6 in practice. However, they proved contentious over issues including, but not limited to, concepts like double counting. And this has led to years of delay in finalizing the principles under Article 6. At COP26 in Glasgow in 2021, the countries agreed on a package of rules to govern and implement the international carbon market mechanisms under Article 6. Okay. And so the rules from COP26 in Glasgow, were they good enough to address the kind of contentious issues behind Article 6? For example, um, did they prevent double counting? Largely, the rules reduced the risk of double counting, but they were not completely airtight. And these remaining issues were on the table to be addressed at COP27 last year in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Okay. And so can you give us some background on that? Certainly. Article 6 acknowledges that countries can pursue voluntary cooperation in the implementation of their nationally determined contributions, or NDCs, to allow for higher mitigation ambition and to promote sustainability and development. There are two major provisions to Article 6. They're known as Article 6.2 and Article 6.4. Article 6.2 outlines the possibility of cooperative approaches and the transfer of something called internationally transferable mitigation outcome, or ITMOs for short, between different actors, including countries and private sector companies through bilateral agreements. 
IPMOs use a carbon dioxide equivalent metric for a new set of market provisions or other greenhouse gas mitigation outcomes that are defined under Article 6 of the Paris Agreement. By way of example, at COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, Ghana and Switzerland presented an authorized project to be implemented under Article 6. By entering these voluntary cooperation approaches through bilateral agreements with Ghana, Switzerland agreed to reduce its national greenhouse gas emissions by using IPMOs. These IPMOs will not be counted towards Switzerland's NDC, but are complementary and will be canceled without use to any NDC. Article 6.4, on the other hand, is more akin to the old Clean Development Mechanism, or CDM, under the Kyoto Protocol, with which those of us long time in the climate world will be familiar. It will create a global carbon market overseen by Article 6.4 supervisory body. Project developers will need to request to register their project within the supervisory body, which must be approved by both the country where the project is implemented and the supervisory body itself in order to issue UN-recognized carbon credits. These credits can be bought by countries, companies, and individuals. The supervisory body met three times in 2017 and submitted their recommendation on activities involving approved removals the day before COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt began. However, these recommendations were not adopted at COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, and the work will continue. So that's, Jen, I think really useful background on Article 6 and kind of COP26 and the provisions. So what then were the key decisions and takeaways in Sharm el-Sheikh at COP27? Yes. So let's talk about both progress on Article 6.2 and Article 6.4 in Sharm el-Sheikh. With regard to progress on 6.2, frankly, the progress was slow up until the last few days of the COP, when some progress was made to allow Article 6.2 to include guidance related to tracking and recording IPMOs and the International Registry, some acknowledgement of a centralized accounting and method for applying for corresponding adjustments, and the agreed electronic format. On the issue of transparency, for example, there is language that if a participating party identifies information as confidential, they should provide the basis for protecting such information. However, hard technical questions still remain with regard to the implementation of Article 6.2 in relation to these corresponding adjustments, the technical expert review, and the ITMO authorization progress, just to name a few. These remaining issues are all to be considered for adoption in the next COP, COP28. A workshop is scheduled to be organized by April 30th in 2023 to begin this process. Under Article 6.4, the most significant progress at Sharm el-Sheikh was a decision to create something called contribution units under Article 6. UN negotiators called these credits quote, mitigation contribution units, because these units contribute to the reduction of emission levels in the host party, but are not per se offsets. 
This contribution claim approach is, in fact, an alternative to offsetting. The contribution claim credit can be bought and sold like any other unit under Article 6. But the contribution claim itself essentially boils down to a change in how carbon credits are handled by the buyer. Rather than a company claiming to offset its emissions or calling its products or services carbon neutral, it could express its contribution to mitigation efforts in a given country by financially supporting a climate project. Contribution claims are supported by leading carbon markets like the gold standard. The gold standard encourages buyers of these types of carbon credits to make a quote unquote impact claim as opposed to an offsetting claim. The purchaser can say it is contributing to a domestic climate target or to UN sustainable development goals. This contribution approach is seen as a transparent description of using carbon credit. And this new designation of Paris Agreement mitigation contribution units at COP27 sends a strong reminder to companies and the wider voluntary carbon market actors that an alternative to offsetting is possible. Thanks, Jen. That's really helpful. So, Brett. I would like to hear a little bit from what's going on in your world. Can you talk about some new developments in the voluntary carbon market trading in particular? So probably the biggest development has been with respect to documentation. So traditionally, there's not been any standardization in the over the counter market for either in the primary market for for voluntary carbon credits or in the secondary market. But I think the thing that we had been talking about in the webinar was that various trade bodies and trade associations were uh, looking to develop standardization. And the, probably the biggest news has been the issuance in December 2022 of ISDA's contribution to this sort of standardization effort, which is the ISDA 2022 Verified Carbon Credit Transaction uh, Definitions, or I think what they'll become known really as the ISDA VCC definitions. I suspect that will be the shorthand for them. So what are they? they these are a set of definitions which would be incorporated into the confirmation, setting out the economic terms of a transaction in a, in a voluntary carbon credit. And that transaction might be a forward transaction, an, an option uh, transaction, yeah, or, or a spot transaction. But a transaction for the, for the physical transfer of carbon credits, the definitions are designed for use with an ISDA master agreement. And of course, the ISDA master agreement is really a document that, that's used for sort of trading in derivatives and in various um, kind of commodity products. And it's also very commonly used for the trading of emissions allowances. Sort of those people who are you know, very familiar with is the documentation will know that in many cases, you know, is the uses definitions as a means to provide enable uh, confirmations to be shorter 
but to at the same time incorporate sort of standard terms for transactions. So how will these sort of definitions be used and what use are they for people in the market? Well, I think for people who already use ISDA documentation and intend to use that documentation for uh, trading in uh, carbon credits, then these provide a really good level of sort of standardization, which people can use. And they'll either be able to use these as they are by incorporating uh, the definitions into their uh, transactions, or upon review, they may find that if there are provisions in here which they want to change, then they can do that. And it's quite common with ISDA documentation and ISDA definitions booklets for people to you know, make amendments where that's appropriate. For people who don't use ISDA documentation, I actually still think that this is a really helpful development because these definitions, I think, will provide a compendium of defined terms, terminology that, that can be used in people's own as a source of inspiration for their own documentation. I mean, for example, the uh, definitions, I think, contain some very helpful provisions relating to defining situations in which a transaction may be disrupted. For example, there's a, 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 an issue at the registry or some other kind of settlement disruption event which delays or prevents performance. So it, it helps to define those events, but then also provides example ways in which that situation sort of flows through to the documentation. What are the consequences of that? So even if you don't use the documentation or you don't necessarily want to uh, sort of provide for these definitions, I think they're actually a really useful kind of compendium and hopefully will be, you know, the start for more standardization in this market so that when people come to negotiate documentation, there's a greater level of sort of standardization as to the starting point. And so people can get more quickly to the issues that are actually in play as between them, as opposed to sort of finding themselves negotiating just about the words as opposed to about the substance. No, that's very interesting context. And I think going to be helpful for people who are transacting with regard to offsets. I think there are, it's early days as these were, as I said, only issued in December 2022. But we would ex expect that they will begin to have an influence on the market. And it really remains to be seen how extensive that influence will be. But certainly because ISDA is such a well-respected trade association and there you know, will be large parts of the market which uses their documentation, you know, I would expect that this will have an influence. And certainly around some very sort of standard factual type definitions, it's really, really useful to have their language available. So, so I think this is good news for the market. Yes. Thank you for that insight. I think 
This concludes our podcast on development since our webinar. Thank you all for joining, and we will continue to update you as the market develops. Thanks, everyone. Energy Explored is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McCardle. For more information about Reed Smith's energy and natural resources practice, please email energyexplored at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.